to paraphrase Cam Newton, we're back. Hey, how's that Cam working Newton? out, Carolina? How are you back, back longer than he is? I don't know. Yeah, back, and that's it. That's the last time I heard of him. <laughs> so, hey, it's the Stadium Journey Podcast. We've been gone for a few weeks, but we are all recharged and we are ready to rock. Visit the website, stadiumjourney.com, to see all of our 2,500 stadium reviews, news stories, features, and more. I think all, this, all the uh, news stories and features are done by uh, the ballpark hunter himself, Mark Vikas. Uh, you can connect with us on all of our social media channels at Stadium Journey. You can find audio versions of the Stadium Journey podcast simply by searching HIAC Talk Radio Network on your favorite place to find podcasts. And we'll be there. Video simulcasts of all of our podcasts for the last five seasons can be found on Stadium Journey's YouTube page. And our classic bat catalog can still be found at vocnation.com. And remember, we record live every other Tuesday night at 7 Eastern at danlaw.tv. And thanks to everyone who's in the, in the chat room watching us right now. And the gang is all here tonight. Dave, Dave Cotney is with us. You can follow him at ProFan9. Mark Viquez is on the interwebs at Ballpark Hunter. Dan Colachico, the other guy, you can, you can follow him at DanLaw83. And I'm Paul Baker. Follow me at PuckmanRI. And tonight, we are very happy to be joined by singer, songwriter, guitarist, former Red Sox beat writer, Howie Newman. Howie, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. A pleasure to be here. I've been on your all over your website. It's it's very interesting, and uh, we were just chatting before the show, and a lot of interesting stories uh, about visiting ballparks and venues and sports in general. So I'm looking forward to it. Right, and speaking of interesting stories, Howie, you may be the first person who's been on the show who's in the Hall of Fame. That's right. That's right. Um, 1985. I did uh, actually I have some of my artifacts here. By 1985, I did a. I decided I was going to do a, a, a national campaign to get rid of the designated hitter because at that time, uh, Peter Ubrock, the commissioner, said he was going to poll fans about it. It was only 12 years old at that time, the designated hitter. So, I, I wanted to spring into action and didn't want to see it coming to the National League, and so I. Uh, I, I didn't know too much about public relations at the time, but I, when I, by the time I finished the campaign, I certainly. I learned a lot, and I, I printed up a bunch of bumper stickers. This is a, whoops, this is a bumper sticker here, mm. and I put together a brochure of, of facts and things that uh, people would be interested. In. And uh, the idea was that if there was going to be a, a nationwide fan poll, that the fans were going to vote against it, and then they'd get rid of it in the American League, and we'd have like real baseball. And uh, so uh, it was uh, it was really uh, interesting. Interesting project, and I it was sort of the 1985 version of going viral because uh, there was no internet back then. But I got I sent it all over the place, I got written up in the New York Times, uh, Los Angeles Herald. Uh, I got a feature like a feature story in uh, short feature in Sports Illustrated with my photo. And uh, once that hit Sports Illustrated. Uh, I started getting mail from all over the world because I, I was selling the bumper stickers uh, and a brochure for like a couple of bucks to finance all the mailing and stuff because no internet, you couldn't, you know, email things out. And uh, I started getting letters and mail from all over the world. It was amazing. Saudi Arabia, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, Mexico, pretty amazing. And uh, so it was, and I did some TV shows also. I was on TNT and... Uh, it was, yeah, they did like 30 radio shows, and now I'm doing this, so it's, it's like 30, 35 years later I'm doing this. Wow, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely <laughs> but, um, What's the but, more uh, antiquated idea that we've got here? Is it, is it the, uh, the mailing and sending out stuff? Is that more antiquated than the idea of a fan poll? <laughs> Uh, well, actually, the idea of mailing stuff out is pretty antiquated. A fan poll, I think you could you could probably facilitate pretty easily because because uh, of the internet. You know, you could have people. You know, don't don't they have fans electing the all star teams and everything else? So yeah, anyway, so baseball names. Yeah, right. The the, the upshot of it was uh, the fan poll never took place, and I actually got to talk to Peter Ubroth about it because he was a guest on Larry King. 
call-in show and I called in, I got in and I asked him about it and he kind of hemmed and hawed and stammered and, and so nothing happened but uh, you know I, it was a lot of fun doing it you know and, I, and I'm, I'm in the hall of fame I don't know if you have the photo but here's here's sort of the photo of uh That's awesome of in the the bumper sticker is is in the hall of fame so uh I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that so uh, yeah I mean I I talked to any baseball fan you turn on uh sports talk show like WFAN out of New York. And it's still a hot topic debate. Should the DH be in the national league? Uh, do you still feel that it shouldn't and it should be a, a blip of right? Well, I, to me, like half a loaf is better than none. So I, I enjoy, I think the part of the problem with pitchers hitting is that it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, you know, the DH is now in high school. It's in American Legion ball. Yeah. I don't know if they do it in little league, but Minor, I mean, uh, eighth grade baseball when I coached, it's there. Yeah, so it's like so. So the message is that well, the pitcher's not supposed to hit. So uh, so the pitchers don't hit, and half of the you know half of the baseball teams they don't have to hit. So and the salaries for pitchers have gotten so high that you know they don't want to risk an injury yeah. by actually making the guy swing a bat and run down first base or anything. So uh, but I, I knew I had my calling because the first time I went to Wrigley Field. And by the way, I'm wearing my Wrigley Field uh, sweater. You can't really see it, but it's uh, commemorating the, the first night game in Wrigley Field. And uh, the first game I saw in Wrigley Field was in 1983. It was against the Mets, uh, the Mets and the Cubs. And Walt Terrell was pitcher for the Mets, and he hit two home runs in that game. So I, I sort of knew at the time that, that I was in home, and it was a message from God that I had to go out and, uh, and do this thing. Here's the DH question, and, and you know, one of you all may know the answer to this. Does the DH have to hit for the pitcher? Say your pitcher is a good hitter and your shortstop's a crummy hitter. Can you DH for the shortstop? You cannot. You could probably, you might be able to jerry rig it or something, but I don't, you're not allowed to do that. No. And they actually had a thing where they had the pitcher. I saw a game where they had the pitcher as the DH in the lineup, a, a pitcher as a DH, and then they wanted to see if the batting order would turn around or something and, and whether they and then they put the regular dh and you're not allowed to do that either mm. so uh there's some i don't know the exact rule but uh <clears throat> there, there is some kind of rule where you, where you can't do that so uh you know otani i guess they just have to go without it the whole game if, if he doesn't do it there was an interesting thing brought up in one of the baseball broadcasts that you could use the dh as long as your starting pitcher stayed in the game which is kind of, I thought was kind of interesting. Because uh, now the starting pitchers only stay in for like four or five innings. So The, o the dreaded opener. The opener, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's almost a, a non-factor now because the, the pitchers are only hitting once a game. So it's like you got that one at bat, you know. But I, I don't know. It, it doesn't, you know, I'm an old-timer. I'm a traditionalist, you know, and I, I you know, like, I saw Rick Sutcliffe get two hits in one inning and everything. And I remember a game where uh, Jim Maloney, I'm going way back to the 60s, but Jim Maloney was pitching a no-hitter against the Mets in the 60s. And he was due up in the bottom of the ninth. It was a scoreless game with a runner on second and two outs. And they we, were they going to pinch hit for him or were they let him bat? And they let him bat. He pitched a hitless 10th. And then I think he gave up a home run to Johnny Lewis in the uh, 11th inning and lost Wasn't the game. Wasn't that a perfect game? Now, yeah, I think you're thinking of Harvey Haddix. Okay, maybe. Harvey Haddix uh, pitched 12 perfect innings uh, and uh, lost lost everything in the 13th inning. Gave up a hit, gave up a run. Uh, actually, gave up a home run, and that that was a, that was a walk off. And and the uh, base runner, everyone was so excited that someone passed passed another base runner on the bases and negated the home run. But the the one run did score. But <clears throat> I'm actually thinking of writing a song about that because. Uh, kind of a unique thing and yeah I, one of my most recent songs uh i've written a bunch of baseball songs and i wrote one about tony cloninger now do you know what record tony cloninger holds anybody <clears throat> only pitcher ever hit, only pitcher ever to hit two grand slams in one game oh okay yeah and, and uh, he also holds the braves franchise record for rbis in a game which was nine but that was like a, that was back in '66, and baseball was so different then. Like he pitched opening day, he pitched 13 innings on opening day, you know. And then the game he hit the two grand slams, 
He won 17 to three and he pitched a complete game. You, you'd never see that nowadays. Oh, well, no, you're absolutely right. I, I, you go back to the 1980s watching Dwight Gooden. I mean, he was pitching into the 10th, 10th inning oh, for yeah. some games and oh, the, yeah, amount yeah. Of, the amount of innings he would pitch. I mean, that's in my lifetime. And, you know, now we have guys who, if they go six innings, I know it's, that, yeah, it's, that's good I, for them. I think the National League or something averaged like five innings a start or something like that. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. It's a little ridiculous. It's uh, I know baseball is a growing game. Things change. But uh, what what the heck happened to the pitchers? Now, I know Nolan Ryan years ago said he was growing up. He played basketball, football, and baseball. That helped him not get a lot of injuries. Is it or are we getting too or are we specializing pitchers too early? I don't know. I mean, you would think with all the modern technology and the yeah, medicine exactly right. and, and the MRIs and everything else that, that there aren't less injuries now than there were before, although they're probably detecting things that they didn't even know existed back, you know, 20, 30, whatever years ago. But uh, I don't know what it, what the purpose of this, counting the pitches and all this other stuff is. I don't know. Could it be the why, does, why does everybody insist on comparing to Nolan Ryan? Right? Like, <laughs> let why are today's pitchers not like one of the top five greatest pitchers of all time? Probably the biggest <laughs> outlier out there, yeah. Well, well I mean, look at Bob Gibson. He pitched quite some time. 46 basketball. He pitched 27 years. He pitched a long time. I guess the comparison might be he pitched all these years and, and uh, pitched to a very late age. and, and, and uh, It's my age. And he managed to not, not get hurt. Not injure himself. And he batted, of course, in those days. Because well, Okay, not- Tommy John. Let's compare Tommy John and Jim Cat, two other guys who pitched in yeah. four decades, you know? Right. So, well, not Tommy John, almost, but. Well, Tommy, 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 didn't he have a complete game with like 77 pitches one day or something like that? I think. I mean, he, I, he, I, can, he, I can see that happening. When he pitched for the White Sox, he never won any games because they couldn't support him, but he. Would have a two point one four er. I mean, two point one era. Uh, yeah, it's just you know when you compare the different eras and you look back. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know what baseball will look like thirty years from now. I mean, I never thought I would see an opener. Never could even imagine what that was or a record for a hold. Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's with the specials. Tony Larusa brought that in with the. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit too much. The eighties, the specialization. You have the starter and then the setup guy and then the. And the closer, you know, but, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, like the closer, you know, if they had to pitch three innings, yeah. he pitched three innings, you know, like, you know, he pitched 100 innings, I think, like uh, six times or something like that. Yeah. Somebody else who pitched 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard to fathom. I mean, I went to a game, I mean, this was like 1969, so... But the, the Mets and the Giants, and uh, it was a 14-inning game, and there were three total pitchers used in the game. The, the Mets had Gary Gentry, and I think it was Ron Taylor. Gary Gentry. And then uh, Juan Marichal pitched for the Giants, and he pitched all 14 innings, and he lost in the bottom of the 14th, and he issued one walk in 14 innings. So, I mean, it's really – I think it's really affected the marketing of the game, too, because it's like you don't – see these kind of mat- marquee matchups, you know, uh, uh, the mano a mano, the, the great, you know, pitching yeah. matchups. It's it's like you see the guys pitch five innings and then they, they take them out, you know? I mean, yeah, guys dueling it out. I was talking to a buddy of mine, the 1988 NLCS, when uh, Gooden was pitching the ninth to Mike Sosha and he gave up a two-run homer and the game was tied. I mean, Gooden probably would have been taken out in the eighth for a reliever. You wouldn't even right. see that right now, and that's right. just a, that's just a simple, simple game there. And uh, you know, you're talking about 14 innings for Juan Marichal. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so. those are stats we may never see. We may never see a 300 game winner. I mean, uh, how at the rate we're going. I don't. I don't think so. I, I, you know, what really bothers oh, wow. me is that is that I was reading. You know, when these Cy Young Award winners were announced, you know, I was reading it on uh, MLB.com or or ESPN or one of those. And they were talking about all the different pitchers and who in the second and third. They didn't even mention the one loss records of the pitchers. Now I know that what well, one loss record is not irrelevant, but it, it can be misleading. But 
to, to say that it, ha it has no relevance at all is just mind-boggling to me. I mean, Urias for the Dodgers, he was 20 and three, and he finished sixth. I mean, that, that, and he had a he had an ERA under three, had a good ERA, and he pitched a lot of innings. So uh, I don't know where that where that's coming from. It's it's becoming too statistically oriented. I think the analytics part of it is really detracted, and I think the whole DH thing kind of blends into that because a lot of the strategy of the game. You, the fact that the pitcher doesn't have to hit, added to the fact that the pitcher doesn't pitch more than five innings, really takes a lot of the uh, strategy and nuances out of the game and a lot of the charm out of the game, too. So anyway, that was my, my uh, dump the DH thing. I know you guys don't, don't particularly agree with it, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's more interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you... If you a lot of times I'll watch a game on TV and I'll keep score, you know, and then, uh, you, you know, you're watching an, a game without the DH. Well, when's the pitcher coming up? Who's left on the roster? Who can pinch hit? Who's, who's, who's in the bullpen? Whereas with the DH, just, well, you, just, you know, you let him, you know, it's, it's irrelevant. So, uh, but I think, I, I think it's coming. I, I, I think if they ever resolve this uh, labor dispute, I, I think one of the big chips on the table is, uh, you know, is universal DH, and I, I don't even, I can't even fathom that the National League wouldn't have it next year, but I, not that I like it, but. I, I would rather see that than an expanded playoff. I don't like the expanded playoff either. It's uh, I don't like it either. It's, I, for, what are they saying, 14 for each league? Is that correct? Are they out of their mind? Yeah, no, 17, 17, teams. 17, 17 teams. Oh, seven for each league. Okay. Yeah. That's you know, like 15 teams in each league. <laughs> no, I think, you know, during the pandemic when they wanted to let extra teams in, all right, whatever. But, yeah, uh, right. That I sense. think the way they have it now is, is, is pretty good. You know, you have to win your division. You get a huge advantage if you win your division. Uh, you know, one game, wild card, you know, if you don't win your division, you got to take your chances. Whatever. Yep. I mean, yep. The thing that happened with the Dodgers and the Giants this year is kind of an anomaly. That's not going to you're not gonna have the two best teams in no. baseball in the same division, so whatever. But uh, yeah, that gave the Braves a nice chance to uh, sneak into the World Series that way. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> they deserve it. They won. Okay. The Mets in 19 what was it? Uh, 73. The Mets. Oh my the goodness! Barely 79, and they made it to the seventh game of the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. Or think of the Twins in '87. What was their record? Was it 87 or 91? The only one, 87. Both years. I don't know which. The, they only won the like 86, 86, 87 games. Well, you know, if you, but that doesn't happen that often. The best, no, you know, no, it doesn't. 06 like Cardinals, I don't think, had a great record. Oh, another great year for a Met fan. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and didn't it, was it the Cubs, Cubs team or, or who won the 116 games in one year in a 154 game schedule? Uh, was it the? I was it who, was it the Indians fifty four? Indians and they, they didn't win the World Series that year, did they? They didn't win. Yeah. Oh, well, the, they, the Cubs. They well, there was yeah. the Mariners won one hundred fifteen games and right, right. Lost. And they didn't win it. So. Oh. Whatever. That's that's the way it goes, you know. You yeah. Got to play who's on the schedule, and uh, you know, if you don't, you still got to got to win the playoff. So, but anyway, that, that's it. Uh, I, I, was, I was thinking about my, uh, well, before we be going any further, uh, I just wanted to show my, one of my treasured uh, uh, souvenirs here. We were talking about Todd McGraw a little earlier. This is a, if you can see, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, okay. this is a song I wrote about Todd McGraw and I actually got him to sign it. So oh, yeah, yeah. Look at that. I mailed it, I mailed it to him. And I one of my favorite him, things when I was a kid, I had the Scroogey comic book. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Tug McGraw wrote his own comic strip. It was okay. Scroogey. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, it was his because he threw he threw the screwball. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I actually sent him a because I have on my first baseball CD I have a song about him getting traded to the uh, Phillies, and uh, so I, I sent him a. It was a. It was an EP. It was a vinyl. It was a vinyl disc. It was 1974, I guess. And so I, I sent it to him, and I, I included the, the lyric sheet, and I asked him to sign it and send it back to me. And I, I gave him the postage paid envelope, but that was, yeah, I don't think you'll ever have to see that happening today either. No. But, 
But uh, uh, Greg, Greg said 14 total, not 14 each league. Good God, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 14. That's still and make, that makes sense now. Yes. Yeah, playing on, uh, oh, you play the whole season to eliminate one team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's, yeah. But yeah, 14, 14. It's still too many, though. They'll be playing on uh, Thanksgiving, you know. So, but, uh, it's, and it gets to be too much to, to watch. I don't know. I don't know about you, but, you know, it, it's all these games are late. You know, they take four hours, and, uh, you know, you, I don't know. It just, just kind of wears you down. Yeah, so what uh, – as a traditionalist, what are – what's the one thing you'd like baseball to bring back that they don't do anymore besides getting rid of the DH? I think I just like to see the pace – well, the, the problem with the game today, I think, is that pitchers don't pitch to contact. And it, so they're trying to strike everybody out, and the batters are up there, and they're just trying to hit, hit the ball out of the ballpark. So you see a ton of strikeouts, and you see pitchers throwing as hard as they can for five innings. So I'd like to see – Pitchers going longer, uh, pitching to contact a little bit more, and batters trying to make contact because strikeout is really not a very exciting play unless it's at a dramatic moment in the game. And, and the, there's too many foul balls too because 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 of the way the batters approach the plate with their you know their uppercuts and the launch angles. So I'd like to see more contact and and a better pace of play. I mean. Uh, you know, I was watching on MLB Network. Uh, they had the seventh game of the 1960 World Series on, and uh, that was like a nine nine seven game or something, or eleven nine, whatever it was. You know, no, it was ten nine game. That Maseros- it was nine nine, and Mazeroski hit the home run. And the pitcher would just get up there and throw the ball, and they get it back, and they throw the ball, and then it's like you know two and a half hours for the game, and you know, not like. Four hours. I mean, when you see like a close to a four-hour baseball game, that that's horrible. So that's that that's. I think they really need to address uh, the pace of play in the game. It's it's just it's just dreadfully slow. And uh, I'd like to see. I'm you know I'm a traditionalist. I'd like to see the pitch clock coming in. And I did. I actually did. I went to a game. You you guys have been to like two. 300 venues. You must have been to a baseball park with a pitch clock, right? Oh yeah, there we see them. So it's no big deal. And then after a while, they just get used to it, and that's that's it's, it speeds up everything. And and then, uh, but I, I saw one in Nashville. It was fine. It was fine, you know. And uh, be nice to cut out like a minute's worth of commercials in between innings. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's another problem is, is those darn commercials that are constantly being played. I mean, I think it's terrible in the NFL, but. Hey, did you uh, guys know you could bet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Foxx. I, I hadn't heard. The, yeah. the guy from Kirby Enthusiasm. Believe Crazy. Me. You wow, know that. It's just hitting you over the head with that. I, I, I'm already sick of the betting commercials. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not much of a better. I mean, no. I I think the game's interesting enough without, without betting on it. Well, so. But they've got to do something about the pace of play. I mean, the, the, the batter's got to stay in the in the batter's box, and the pitcher's got to keep throwing the ball every 15, 20 seconds, and then you'll see. Because And more pitching to contact, I think. Because, you know, what's really amazing is, is, is uh, the way major league fielders make these plays look so routine and smooth, whereas, you know, if you, play, if you ever played ball or softball or anything, you know that it's not that easy. So, uh, but even like a ground ball to short, you know, it's like, it's amazing that since the inception of baseball, you know, you hit a medium speed ground ball to short and and your average runner and you run hard to first, you're going to, the shortstop makes the play cleanly, you're going to be out by a step, you know, and that's happened in 1900 and now it's happening now. So, uh, but uh, I don't know, it's... uh, I don't know where baseball is going, but uh, they, they've got to make some changes and uh, probably just getting getting the, the uh, season started on time would be a major accomplishment. Yeah, let's let's do that first and get all the free agents where they need to be and yeah, make right. sure everybody's happy because uh, there's people that I've talked to that do not remember or were not alive in 94 and 95 that will remember the last strike uh, 
my last stoppage. And that ticked a lot of people off. And there's people that swore off baseball, never going to watch it again. And we just don't want to see more people do that uh, this time around. Right. Uh, well, I, I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm going back a ways, but I remember in 1968, like Mickey Mantle was getting like $100,000. And people thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> you know, and then now it's like $40 million. Guys are making like a million dollars, almost a million dollars a week. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's getting that a little out of control. Now, you guys have been to all these venues. What, what are your favorite, uh, what's your favorite ballpark, baseball park? Because I think baseball, I mean, I think, you know, the other venues, football, basketball, hockey, you know, the, the venue itself doesn't really affect the play as much as it does in baseball, where you could have a no, green box. I can see that. And where you have the short porch in right field at Yankee Stadium, or you, you know you have the Ivy in, in Chicago. So I'm just curious what your your favorite baseball, Major League Baseball venue is. I know mine, but I want to take a stab. <laughs> uh, mine is mine's yeah. PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I and like they just, don't have and they don't have obstructed views like some of those old places that I hate. <laughs> the, the view from the upper deck is uh, pretty breathtaking. Yeah, and I hardly ever sit up there. <laughs> the, the, it's, 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 such a, it's such a cheap ticket you can you can sit behind home plate for right. for a decent price. It's worth walking up though there just to see that the rivers and the bridge. And oh the yeah, whole, it's really really cool. Yeah, I think I sat really up there once. Yeah. I, that's my probably one of my favorite of the uh, new ballparks. And now that we're in in COVID and I mean the borders barely open, um, like the the possibility of getting a Permanti Brothers sandwich again is like it's way high on my priority list. Mm. <laughs> yeah, see, I I like San Francisco a lot, uh, but Pittsburgh <laughs> is very breathtaking and. If you're with a family, probably a little more economical. San Francisco prices are getting a little bit high there. But when that place is packed, when the team is winning, it's a party. The food's great. It's a small, intimate setting. And you got the bay in the background. Uh, just just a nice, the ideal place to see a baseball game uh, in, in the major league level. But I don't, I would put it one, but. Pittsburgh could sneak up there too. I like Pittsburgh and and I like Minnesota. Target Field is is one of those uh, sneaky good ballparks that some people may not like, but I don't care. I like it. <laughs> it's got everything I wanted. So yeah, it's yeah. nice. Nice. I mean, the, the modern architects are now they take into consideration uh, the city and the buildings and you know what's what the back backdrop is going to be and everything else. So it's it, it's pretty impressive. I, I think. Pittsburgh and San Francisco would be my favorites of the newer parks. I mean, I still like, you know, Wrigley Field and, and Fenway uh, for just for being old and funky there. Oh, yeah. You got to give respect to the, to the grand godfathers of ballparks. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, people still love going to Wrigley Field. Even if you're not a baseball fan, you go to Chicago, you want to see a game there just because it's the thing to do. And uh, you'll have a good time, but you know, do not drive to Wrigley Field. Take take public transportation. I, right. I know there's some park and rides a little north of, of the of Wrigleyville uh, that Jared Goodman told me about. So I'm gonna take take him up on that next time I'm up there. So should be fun. And again, the upper deck, you get there's an unbelievable view of from the upper deck. You can see you can see the city, and then you can see the very tip of Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. If you see, so it, it's a pretty. Uh, Amazing place. The first time I went there, I actually bought two tickets. I, because I, I figured I had to sit in the bleachers, you know, because that's sort of a Wrigley Field uh, hallmark. And uh, so I, but the, it was a separate mission to the bleachers and to the grandstand. So I, I bought a ticket in the grandstand and the bleachers. And I sat in the bleachers for for about four innings, and it was like really hot. And I went I went back inside to the regular place. But it, yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty amazing place. Although it's kind of falling apart, I guess, from what I understand. But I'm not sure what the renovation, how much of that they've actually renovated. But the other thing is, it's right in the middle of a neighborhood. It's sort of like, I, I remember I, the first time I went there, I, I got into this hotel and I'm walking around the area and, you know, it's all, it's all this residential stuff. And all of a sudden, here's the ballpark. It's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty shocking. Well, that's how they all used to look, you know, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, 
they were all neighborhood ballparks and some of those neighborhoods just people moved out Cincinnati they built an interstate in between the neighborhood ruined it uh, right. but Wrigley uh, Wrigley Field was able to still remain just for several factors uh, and well, it's, good. Why, it's good yeah that's why they had a lot of these funky dimensions in some of the old ballparks because they basically contoured the park to the streets the existing streets it wasn't like a big parking lot or no. or mass transportation because in uh, you know when Wrigley Field and and uh, and Fenway were built in some of the older parks like Comiskey, you know there weren't weren't any cars or hardly any cars. So whatever streets were there, they just you know designed the ballpark to, to squeeze in there. I always thought the old Comiskey Park was kind of a underrated uh, funky ballpark. It was kind of like very boxy, but mm -hmm. uh, kind of cool. Yeah, never never had a chance to go there, but I assume you did. Yeah, I went to the old Comiskey, yeah. Okay. I, uh, before it became fashionable to do these baseball trips, I did one uh, in 83, and I went to the old Comiskey and Wrigley Field, and then we took a ride up to County Stadium in Milwaukee. And, one of my uh, favorites. And I, I wrote a story about it for Baseball Digest, and apparently at that time, people weren't really doing that. So I, I, didn't, I mean, not that I'm just Vanguard or something, but it was unique enough that, that they ran the story. So what about you, other Paul and Dan? How, how about uh, what do you? What's your favorite? Well, uh, you know, I put P and C at the top of my list as well, but um, just so we can talk about somewhere different, uh, Camden Yards is still one of my favorite. Places. Yeah, it's great. That's my number one. Yeah, Camden you Yards. You how we, uh, how they used to build or how they build ballparks with the backdrop in mind. Right. Baltimore is an example of how they had a beautiful backdrop and they ruined it. Well, didn't they have the, the where they had the warehouse? Well, the warehouse is still there, but if you used to be able to, you used to be able to look out into center field, okay, and see downtown Baltimore, but they okay. built this giant hotel there, right. which now that's all you can see, really. Yeah, I haven't been there recently, but uh, that's too bad. A lot yeah, of the minor no. parks took took that up too. I remember the one up in Portland, Maine. They have like a YMCA or something that's, that's the it's Portland at, Exposition like, Building. Right, yeah, and then, old. yeah, and then in uh, in in Lowell they built they had a single A team there, and they had the view of the bridge, which is kind yep. of similar that they did yep. in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the textile mills are not too far away uh, either right. from uh, right. that ballpark. Which uh, right. that's funny how you ask. I was looking at some old videos of when I went to uh, the Lowell Spinners game, and part of it is me and the textile mills and, and taking right. the train right. or taking the trolley. So. It was a right. fun little town during the day. Yes. I hear a little sketchy at night. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. depends where you go in Lowell. Yeah. Okay. It depends. All right. So people told me it's like, hey, okay. But um, they lost their team, though, when they uh, through the. Uh, yeah, that's right. They did lose their team. I keep forgetting about that. What are your thoughts on that whole reorganization, Howie? Oh. What are your thoughts on that whole reorganization of the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think there are a lot of. There are probably a lot of minor league cities where they're not that well supported and, you know, the facilities aren't that good. But overall, it's, it's a really nice thing to have in your community. Uh, and to lose a minor league, minor, I mean, that minor league game, you can go, you can bring the whole family, five, six bucks a ticket, five bucks to park. And, you know, you're, you're close to the action and you could see guys on the way up and, uh, you know, or just, you know, all the seats are good because you know you're so so it's an unfortunate thing that uh that that really happened uh because i i think it's a it's a great thing for families and, and communities and you know I, I know in lowell they were really fighting hard to keep that team there and uh, they had a really nice ballpark and uh, they, they had good attendance and again i guess it was just kind of a money driven uh you know decision you know there are probably a lot of guys in the minor leagues who are never gonna gonna move up but that's sort of the charm of it too you know i think though from uh and, and we're hearing even more they, they've really taken a jump as far as um how they're treating the players so i think they yeah. i think it was triple a they announced that uh that the minor league teams will or the major league teams whoever somebody is going to be um taking care of their housing Right, yeah. I mean, they, they is, really, really struggle, yeah. You know, before they were making like, you know, a couple thousand dollars and they had to pay, you know, fees to get, 
you know, bologna and cheese after the game, yeah, yeah. get their laundry done and whatnot. And I mean, that was, that was horrible. Oh, that yeah. Nobody knew about it. And since the, you know, in the last two years, like that wage is, has become, I would say more livable. And then, you know, now it, it just seems to be like they're treating the whole process professionally as opposed to, you know, a bunch of sand lots or whatever yeah. and see what kind of floats and yeah i mean you, know, you look at the guy, situation with a guy like kyler murray who was uh, drafted by the oakland a's and he was said he was going to play baseball and uh, he also got drafted by the arizona cardinals and well the situation well you want to make six hundred dollars a month or do you want to make like you know three million dollars even the rookie entry contract in the nfl is like you know if you're first round draft choices miles above that so he eventually went play football and probably made more in his uh you know first year than he would have made in the minor leagues in his first few major league seasons so it's a uh, it's a big thing but the, the game does have uh attraction in terms of uh its history and everything else but uh the you're you're absolutely right the minor leaguers were, were making almost nothing i mean you single a ball they were i don't know Three four hundred dollars a week, and only during the season. Yeah, remember the so. stories Greg Larson told when he came on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had like, I mean, there was a there was a race factor too. You had these uh, all these Dominican kids who were basically pimped out and sent to a new country, and they weren't making anything. They couldn't speak the language, and there was no investment in them. And and then what? You know, yeah, they don't tough. make it. They're there was a really good movie made. Uh, it's called Sugar. Yes, I've seen that movie. Yes, and it was about a guy. I don't. I remember. I don't remember where exactly where he came from. It might have been the Dominican, but he didn't speak hardly any English. He came over here, and it really kind of showed all the difficulties that that a young kid has coming over here, trying to make his way playing ball. He's doing it for his family, probably, and uh, the language problem, and uh, you know competition and it, it was a pretty interesting uh, look at it but uh, anyway uh, I was also thinking you know in terms of minor leagues I people a lot of times will ask me like my favorite interview that I've done because I, I did the sports writing for like 18 years and the favorite and I've, I've talked to like you know a lot of the big shots and a lot of the stars I did a lot of NBA and but my favorite interview was uh, interviewing Steve Lyons, uh, like in 19, I think it was 1984 or 1985. <laughs> because back then there's no internet, so you didn't know anything. Of, like I went down and he was like a top Red Sox prospect. And um, and Wade Boggs was, he was a third baseman and Wade Boggs was the incumbent. And so they said, do a story on this guy. He's their top prospect in, in, in AAA, you know. So no idea what this guy even looked like. Cause, and uh, drove down there and he was just very interesting character uh he basically hit 240 to 250 on every level of baseball that he played high school college minor leagues and in the major leagues and uh you know he, he he said he showed up for the uh his first day of college baseball and he said all these other guys were like all american or all state or something like that and uh hit 400 and said uh said that you know i couldn't really compare with them but you know, like five years later, I'm the only one who's still playing ball. So, but it was, he, he, you know, in the minor leagues, when you do stories like that, I'm sure you guys have done it. Uh, you know, players are just much more relaxed and, and, and forthcoming. And they, so we, we chatted for like 45 minutes and he was just a, it's a real uh, breath of fresh air. And uh, another memorable thing that I did, I was kind of going through my, racking my brain to, because a lot of the, I've done the World Series and, and that stuff, but I think some of the more memorable things that I've done involve other things. Like I, I covered the uh, 1984 Cape Cod League All-Stars against the U.S. Olympic team down, down in Cape Cod, you know, and uh, it was like Will Clark, Mark McGuire, Oda B. McDowell, B.J. Serhoff, and Barry Larkin were all in that, uh, on that Olympic team. So it, was, it was kind of an interesting thing. And uh, a few other things that came to mind. I actually did a feature on the Continental Basketball Association. Oh, CBA, was, uh, I know that. You know, the, the, original, the original CBA, which uh, Isaiah Thomas ran into the ground. Yep, yep. 
Oh, and, yeah. So I, I did a story. It was the Bay State Bombardiers. They were located in Worcester, Mass. Uh, against the Albany Patroons and the opposing coaches were uh, Dave Callens and Phil Jackson. <laughs> and uh, that's right. I guess start there. Talking about minor leagues in those days, uh, they had a nine nine players on the team, and uh, they drove their own van all over the place. <laughs> and uh, so I asked Phil Jackson. I said, "Well, who drives the van?" He says, "Well, I do." <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting. And uh, uh, I did a. United States Basketball League game uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. Hey, I was probably at that game. That game. It was uh, the Rhode Island Gulls yes, featuring yes. Uh, Spud Webb and Manu Bull. Yep. Wow. And, and, and Spud Webb, who's 5'6", could get up a lot higher than Manu Bull could. The best thing was walking around downtown Newport and seeing the two of them walking together down the street. Yeah, unbelievable. It reminded me of... Uh, of game I saw with the Mets in the Montreal Expos, and uh, Dick Raditz was pitching for Montreal, and his catcher was Ron Brand, and uh, Ron Brand was like about I don't know five 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 six, and Dick Raditz was about six five I think you know, and so they Ron Brand went out to the mound for a conference, and it looked like a guy with his son or something, but uh, <clears throat> but a lot of those a lot of those. Uh, Kind of jewels from the past uh, when I was thinking about uh, you know the things that I've done, and uh, you know I remember that USBL game with uh, Minute Ball and Spud Webb went up for a uh, uh, slam you know and the, the crowd went nuts. It was it was pretty pretty interesting. And John Hot Rod Williams was on that team too. That's right, he was on that team, and uh, he was involved in some kind of point shaving scandal. It was like. It was like a column writer's dream going to that cover that game. I mean, you you just couldn't go wrong. Uh, so, um, Howie, can you take us back to your beat writer days? Yeah, I, I uh, started covering the Red Sox in the uh, mid '80s, and uh, you know it was uh, pretty interesting. I, I got to I covered the '86 World Series, and uh, you know. It, a lot of it, the difference with doing minor league stories and, and college and going to the major league was kind of a kind of a shocking thing because they were a lot less cordial. And uh, I remember that '86 team when John McNamara was the manager and Jim Rice. Those guys were, were a little bit on, on the nasty side, but some of the some of the guys were pretty good. But it, it was interesting, and uh, I, uh, you know, one of one of my dream jobs, you know, was was to to cover baseball on a full-time basis. And I didn't travel with the team except for the 86 World Series. But I think one of the years, it might have been 86, I uh, I covered like 37 of the home games. So it was like just about half of the uh, home games. I, I actually worked with, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, Nick Cafardo uh, worked for the Boston yep. Globe. And uh, he was recently enshrined in the uh, writer's section of the Baseball Hall of Fame. He got a special, uh, special, the Spink Award, I think it was. Yeah, he and, passed uh, away recently. That's right. It was several years ago. Yeah. He worked that for long the, ago. Yeah. yeah. And he worked for the uh, Patriot Ledger and I worked for the P Patriot Ledger, which is a suburban uh, Boston paper and got to work with him, which was really, really great. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I love baseball. Uh, you know, uh, covered the World Series in 85 and uh, there were no laptops around then, you know, so I had to like, I had to drive to the Associated Press office and file the story, you know. Uh, I, remember, I remember doing that and then the following year I got a, these Radio Shack things and <laughs> covered that and uh, just really enjoyed it the whole, it was a long day, it was like, you know, you get there for seven o'clock and you get there about four and, you know, talk to the manager and maybe a couple of players and get some stuff for your notebook, you know, note, your notes and uh, and do the games. And uh, the games in Fenway Park always lasted a long time because they had good hitting teams and a lot of foul balls because of the cozy confines. But it was, uh, you know, it was really, I, I enjoyed doing it. I remember in the 86 World Series, it was like, I think I got the seventh game, I got we had like an afternoon paper. It was no internet then, so there was a morning paper, an afternoon paper. The seventh game, I think, I got done writing about quarter to six in the morning or something like that. You know, because they they didn't even start putting the paper together till about ten a.m. or something like that. 
But uh, Dan, we didn't get your favorite ballpark, by the way. We're still waiting for that. Oh, it was Camden Yards. Camden Yards. Okay. Yeah, it was Camden Yards. I I went before the hotel went up. Oh, cool. <laughs> no, I it's it's. See, I look, I look. Let I don't eat food when I go to the uh, contrary to popular belief. I don't eat food when I go to the stadiums because uh, that's too much money. But so I I just concentrate on how I feel and how the game feels with the surrounding areas. So my my uh, my rating system is a hell of a lot um, lower than everybody else's, uh, especially the people on this podcast. So it was just. You know, I come from Philadelphia and being at the vet and Citizens Bank Park and that that stadium, just where it is, how you get there, the surroundings minus the hotel. It was just the best experience as a ba- baseball park I have ever had. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I never I never buy food either because I figure, well, I might miss like a triple play or something. So, uh, well, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I when I go to a sporting event, I sit down, I watch. <laughs> the intermissions, the breaks in the game, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, my bladder isn't a problem right now. It never has been. So I don't have to get up. I, I watch the game, no matter what kind of game it is. Honorable mention to, uh, for a minor league park was river, um, river shark stadium in Camden, New Jersey. Campbellsfield. Campbellsfield. Well, I'm calling it river shark stadium. Yeah. Um, because uh, I, you know, it, you had the Ben Franklin bridge in the background um the beauty the city was getting fixed up around it the breeze coming off the delaware as long as you didn't breathe in too deep um Uh that was a beautiful park and it was gone way too soon um that still bothers me but that's a whole nother podcast yes that'd be a good podcast because you're right that was a beautiful view uh and it's the shame that we build ballparks of that caliber not some grandstand with couple seats in it we built like fister for million yeah Yeah. (laughs) we built beautiful ballparks that are meant to do great things and then within 15 years eh, we're done that was jersey has two of them three if you count atlantic city i was gonna say you got atlantic city just sitting there and that's a great park and it's just anyway yeah i digest anyway i wanted to just quickly mention some of my uh, baseball music uh, oh, so yeah, definitely. Had, We're definitely going to absolutely that, Howie. Hell yeah, so, uh, this is the part I'm waiting for. So I've got uh, I've got a couple of baseball CDs out. Uh, this is uh, Baseball's Greatest Hits Volume 1, and that originally actually came out as a vinyl disc, and I remastered it into, to uh, that's got the Todd McGraw song on it. And then my most recent one, which is not all that recent, actually, is the Baseball's Greatest Hits Volume 2, and that has... Uh, Mendoza line on it, and also a, a song about the Red Sox finally winning the World Series after 86 years. And I actually did a parody of an REM, REM class, and I, I, nice. I come up with a song called "It's the End of the Curse and We Know It." And uh, so, I, and I do these, ba- I do baseball shows actually, which is uh, consists of uh, my baseball songs, and I do trivia, and then I tell some of the stories because once you get me going on the stories, I, I can talk forever but uh and i do do a section about the dump the dh and uh and that kind of stuff and uh so during the pandemic i actually did them uh did them via zoom i I figured out a way to how to hook up my sound system to the uh to to the computer and uh to the laptop and and get some get some sound that sounded pretty good and uh and i i do the the i'd rather do them in person i've been doing a lot of the baseball shows in person and uh, that's been a lot of fun. I, I really, uh, really enjoy doing that. It's uh, uh, my favorite trivia question that I ask. I'll see if you guys can get it. Is uh, who holds the record for the most? What pitcher holds the record for the most strikeouts in one game? Uh, uh, baseball, uh, major league, or, or minor major league? major league, major league baseball game. Only two people have actually gotten it out of all like a fifty shows up there or something. Well, Roger Clemens. And well, it was Kerry Woods, Woods and right? Clemens, correct? Twenty. It's not correct, but it's 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 not a bad guess either. So it's Kerry Wood, Roger Clemens, Max Scherzer, and Randy Johnson all struck out nine twenty guys in a nine inning game. But the record for a game of any length is twenty one by Tom Chaney, 
uh, for the Washington Senators uh, in 1962. Wow. Struck out 21 batters in a 16-inning complete game. Wow, that's something you think I would have heard about. Before the advent of pitch count, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's... So uh, he, he, and he, it's funny because like a lot of, uh, a lot of players who hold records like Dale Long holds the record for most consecutive games with a home run. Wasn't a great hitter. Uh, Tom Cheney only won 19 games in his entire major league career. So that's, uh, wow. But anyway, simply, I, I really enjoyed doing them. And uh, when I was doing them on Zoom, I would occasionally get people from different parts of the country to kind of, they, they, they found it somehow. And, uh, but I do. I live in person in the uh, the greater Boston area. You know, uh, greater Boston area, southern New Hampshire, uh, southern Maine, and uh, love doing it. And uh, I, I, it's interesting because uh, I I sell the baseball CDs, but I also sell you know the MP3s like on you know Spotify and Amazon and those places. And I get a lot of people from like all over the world buying them. Because I guess there are baseball fans, you know, probably Americans, but baseball fans all over the place. So, you know, Australia, Europe, uh, South America, uh, Mexico, and you know, because I, when when I when I get paid uh, from uh, iTunes or something like that, it tells you where 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 the purchase is coming from. So, kind of cool. But, uh, and and, uh, and anybody listening can find all your songs and all your all your information on your website. Right, which is uh, HowieNewman.com, H-O-W-I-E-N-E-W-M-A-N. You can listen to a lot of the baseball songs. Uh, you know, I have a whole band behind me for a lot of them and uh, backup vocals and all this other stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, Baseball's Greatest Hits Volume 3 is kind of in the works because uh, I've, I've got a, I did a song about a guy named Mike Hessman, who was the... Uh, Minor league home run king. He had 433 minor league home run. He's the real life Crash Davis. Yeah, and uh, so I did a song about that. That's not on either of the baseball CDs. And I did one by, uh, about Tony Cloninger, who who hit uh, two grand slams in one game. Only pitcher ever do that. And then I'm working on one now about knuckleballs. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty close to having enough to do uh, uh, baseball's greatest hits volume three. So. Uh, and uh, but yeah, feel free to go to my website and uh, listen to any of that stuff, and you can hear samples of it. And I have a actually, I have a section about the baseball music, and I also have a section about the dump the DH, which we we talked about uh, before. And then actually, I did a follow I did a follow up to dump the DH, which is try try to uh, get rid of artificial turf, which uh, <laughs> nice. Well, everybody was going to be behind that one. Yeah. And uh, and it just didn't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I got I got it written up in USA Today, and I think I got it in one of the big New York papers. But it didn't like, you know, I didn't do like thirty radio shows or get on TV or anything. But uh, that was kind of fun. Learned a lot about uh, uh, prescription athletic turf and all this other stuff. I talked to turf experts and things like that. But actually, it, it may have had a latent effect. On, on things because how many artificial turf fields are there now? There's only four. Well, we've got the technology now. We can pull the whole field right out of the stadium, let the grass grow, and then put it back for the game. Or, or you can have a retractable dome where you let right, the. Right. Because a lot of people don't know this, but the Astrodome, which had the first artificial turf field, originally had grass. Had grass, but it wouldn't grow because. But it all died. So they had a pro they had a problem with the roofs that nobody could once of all got hit in the air the fielders couldn't see it so they they, they tinted the, the roof and then the grass died and by the end of the year they were like spray painting dirt and, and brown grass and everything else and uh and they had to come up with some kind of a solution over the winter so they, they came up with the, the artificial turf so actually there's a i have a song about artificial turf on my first baseball yep. CD. Uh, now, now here's a question what was your reaction when you saw artificial turf for the first time? Were, were you like, what the heck is this? Or it was what well, was really ugly, ugly. And then it's sort of the old artificial turf. It's better now, but it took like really weird bounces, and the ball would really shoot through the infield. And then they wouldn't even put the infield clay, infield dirt in. They'd have these sliding squares. So at least you know, like now they have where they have artificial turf. They have an infield that looks like an infield. 
So, but it's really, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's really ugly. Although, you know, it's funny, I, I'm a big softball fanatic. I'm, I'm still playing and, uh, uh, but I remember a long time ago, we used to, uh, we had one team that, that, that uh, used artificial turf for its field. It was never got a bad bounce or anything. And, uh, and if it's wet, you, you had great traction and everything else. Yeah, because I mean, I, I grew up in an era where you had grass fields and artificial turf. I mean, astroturf. So it was accepted, you know. But looking right. back at old footage, I'm like, oh, that stuff was horrible. And yeah, especially no, for football players. Yeah, it, it was horrible. Uh, you know, uh, they they had Shea Stadium when, when the Metro playing. They actually uh, rotated the stands around and used it, but the, the field got so beat up. From, from the football and everything else, it was, it got to be an issue. But then, then people kind of realized that having baseball teams share stadiums with football teams was not, not really a great idea because no, the no. configuration of a, a field was not conducive to each other. So that kind of went away from it. But uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's really, uh, really kind of a shock to see it. I'm trying to think of the first one that I ever saw. It's probably might have been Philadelphia at the, at the vet saw that, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's not. Uh, well, th there's only four teams that uh, can you name the four teams that still have it or that that have it? Toronto's one, I know. Oh, if, it, if it's Major League Baseball, I think it's only two. No, there's four it's Toronto and Tampa, right? Miami, no, the, the new stadium in Texas has it, okay, and. Chase Field in Arizona in Phoenix yeah. started as a natural turf field, but it's so hot there. They used so much water to maintain the field that they felt it was not environmentally <laughs> responsible to, to, to they put in artificial turf. So those are the four. And uh, Chase Field has a retractable dome, as does uh, Toronto. So Toronto has no drainage, though. Yeah. That's their problem, is that it's concrete under there and they, there's nowhere yeah. for water to go. Yeah. And they, they, they still have the Argonauts play there, right? The CFL Canadian. No, 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 no. They're gone. They, they don't play there anymore. No, nope. they were kicked out. Oh, they really? oh, yeah. yeah. They're wow. 8,000 fans. Wow. Cool. Well, learn, learn something every day. Yeah. A couple, what, two, three years. So, so Howie, I guess before we wrap up, you, we were talking before the show started that you you uh, do a lot of stadium traveling of your own. Yes. To a lot of minor league parks across the country. How about you uh, fill us in on some of your favorite places to go? Um, okay. These parks, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I like I'll go to a baseball game anywhere, you know, anytime. So uh, I I I think Pittsburgh, San Francisco. Um, I like a lot of the minor league parks. The old. Minor League Park in Spokane, Washington was pretty cool. And they, there was an old one. The old, I, I like the old parks better. Uh, the, like somebody said, I forget who it was, that a lot of the newer parks become a little more corporate and they have, you know, suites, luxury suites and all this other stuff. But uh, the one in, in Rochester, New York was, was pretty cool. The old, the old oh, silver, silver, stadium. silver stadium. And uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of the new parks uh, don't really have the charm of the old wooden stadiums. I went to one in Bridgewater though. Uh, the last game they ever played, the Bridgewater Bluefish, I drove down there and back in the same day. Oh, Bridgeport, yeah. Bridgeport, oh, yeah. Bridgeport, Bridgeport. Bridgeport. And it has this hideous power plant next to it with with, with toxic smoke spewing. I may be the only one who liked that backdrop. It was because it was different. <laughs> it was different. It was, yeah. I would pass I like it. I passed it a lot going to New York and stuff. I said I got to go to a game there once, and I and, and I finally <laughs> went there. But it's now a concert venue. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But um, the, the the one in Lowell, I I really liked uh, Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, really nice minor league ballpark. And I'm trying to think. I have a list of all the ones over here. And uh, let's see. I also, I, I think my, one of the few people who saw the Nets, the basketball Nets, play in four different venues. Oh, Teaneck? You saw them in Teaneck? I didn't see them in Teaneck. I saw them in <laughs> Island Garden, Nassau Coliseum, the Meadowlands, and the Barclays Center. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think. 
Um, the, the one in Oklahoma City is kind of cool. That it's because because it's right in the city there, and they have like a nice, one. nice downtown. It's been a while, but yeah, it's beauty. Yeah, and uh, the one in uh, I went to in Daytona that, that was really nice. Oh, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. It's on an too. island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty cool. But of the major league ones, you know, I, I would go to Wrigley Field and uh, Fenway and. Uh, Pittsburgh and San Francisco. I did like Minneapolis a lot. Nice. Um, and uh, actually went to the Trop. That's not one of my favorite fields, but I, I had such low expectations of Tropicana Field in, in St. Petersburg. I had such low expectations that I actually enjoyed it a lot, you know. And plus, I could sit behind home plate, you know, for sixteen bucks or something. Yeah, that's that's I think I liked about it too. Was cheap tickets, and yeah. it was. Uh, thunderstorm outside so thank goodness that dome was there or that game would have been rained out yeah hours ago yeah do so, anything at fenway park for 16 dollars buy a beer Minute Maid park no. is pretty cool too i i, I kind of like Minute Maid park uh so those those are my favorite ones but uh i haven't I haven't been to a baseball game uh since the pandemic started i don't know so i'm looking forward to going next year and uh, opening day at Fenway Park is March 31st, so I'm hoping to be there. I'm hoping things are a little more under control, uh, pandemic-wise, at that point. But thank you very much for having me. It was interesting talking to you all, you guys. And, uh, you're, oh, you uh, too. Maniacs in your own way. <laughs> like, like Dave says, we're we're just not right. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you find something you enjoy and you do it. Uh, you know, all the power to you. It's great. So, so you like music and sports. Yeah, usually, I do. Like usually some people are just all about the sports and all about the music. So no, you I love those love, two nice I hobbies. Music. I love going to concerts. I love playing. You know, I do a lot of performing. Uh, it, not just the baseball shows, but I uh, have a duo that I play in. I have a back by fiddle player and a mandolin player. And I would do a lot of outdoor shows. And uh, uh, really, I always do a couple of baseball songs, though. But... Uh, I enjoy it, and I love going to the concerts, uh, outdoor concerts, indoor concerts. Uh, just uh, really enjoy music. So I've sort of combined my two uh, uh, vocations, I guess. Uh, and you like to write? I like write songs. Yeah, I haven't yeah. done too much. Uh, I haven't done sports writing quite a long time, but but uh, like yeah, I like writing songs, and uh, baseball songs seem to come fairly naturally. So I kind of gravitate. That. You're actually doing a show not too far from me in a couple of weeks, Howie. Where is that? You're in Foxborough. Yes, that would be actually if you're if you're in the area, I'm going to be playing with my duo there, and uh, we're doing a, yeah an hour and a half show, and uh, a lot of original material, a lot of audience participation, a lot of stories, and we'll do I'm going to do a couple of baseball songs and. Uh, we do, we do a combination of my, my original songs. Most of them are, are humorous. Some of them are serious. And then we do some classic rock as well. So we don't do any folk music, even though I'm, I'm an acoustic player. And, uh, yeah, if you're in the area, it's uh, definitely it's free. And uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts, south of Boston. Anybody uh, in the area, please come by. Yeah. And so before, before we let you go, Harry, why don't you uh, let our uh, listeners know where they can check out your music and uh, your website, all that, all that good stuff. Buy the CDs. Yeah, uh, it's HowieNewman.com. It's uh, H-O-W-I-E-N-E-W-M-A-N.com. Or if you just Google uh, Boston Funny Songwriter or something like that, or Boston Baseball Songs, uh, it, you'll get to my website. But yeah, website you can you can buy this, you can buy the albums. Uh, you, you can go on iTunes or or. Uh, or Amazon or any of those digital places if you just wanted to buy the MP3 tracks. I know I know that uh, CDs are kind of passe at this point, but uh, but you can check it out. Yeah, so the website's got all the stuff. I put a lot of work into putting that in there, and uh, it's got my information about the, the hall, me in the Hall of Fame and the baseball music and uh, all this other stuff, all my other things. So but I appreciate your, your having me. It's a fun group. Oh, we're glad to have you, Harry. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, Greg, a shout out to you because without your uh, your mediating this, uh, we wouldn't have come in contact with Howie. So, yeah, Greg is a son of my one of my cousins. So uh, yeah, he recommended it, and uh, 
uh, it's been everything I had hoped it would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Howie, for joining us tonight. Thank you. So that's all the time we have for tonight. I want to thank everyone out there for joining us once again. Uh, Dan, where can our listeners follow you online? Follow me complaining about the line at the Wells Fargo Center at Danlaw 83. Mark, how about you? Where can you be found on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Ballpark Hunter on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and my own YouTube page. I have a review of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks Arena Fisser Forum or Fiser Forum. That's coming up pretty soon, so that's a good one. You'll like it. And that was really your dad's first NBA game at the age of, what is he, 90? He was actually 91 at the time. Now he's 92. Yeah, he doesn't go to a lot of NBA games. <laughs> what 91-year-old does go to a lot of NBA games? He, he got a free shirt, so he had a good time. He liked it. it was, he liked the arena. Uh, he doesn't like baseball. He doesn't like being outside the cold. So a basketball game in, indoors is just, just perfect for him. Beautiful. Yeah, so check that out on Mark's YouTube page, Ballpark Hunter. Dave, where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Profan9. And you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. And remember, you can find all of our stadium reviews, news items, and other feature stories on the website, stadiumjourney.com. Connect with us on all of our social media channels at Stadium Journey. Like, comment, and share everywhere. You can find audio versions of the Stadium Journey podcast by just by searching HIAC Talk Radio Network on whatever podcast app you use. Or you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on all those different places. I won't go into detail on all of them. Now, video simulcasts can be found on Stadium Journey's YouTube page. And our classic back catalog can still be found at VOCNation.com. And join us for our live streams every other Tuesday night at 7 Eastern at twitch.tv slash danlaw83. Oh, no, wait a minute. Well, you can go that way, or you can go danlaw. Yeah, that's fine. Danlaw.tv is fine. They're yeah, the same thing. Uh, we'll be back. Speaking of our live stream, our next live stream will be in two weeks, December 21st. It will be our end-of-the-year episode. That is always a fun one. So thanks, everyone, for your support. Thanks again to Howie Newman for joining us. For Dan, Mark, and Davis, this is Paul. Wishing you all safe stadium journeys and close games. Hope to see you on the road. Or not a start, maybe a pinch runner just to get in there. Or maybe a late inning defensive replacement for about 12 runs up in the ninth inning. Or I'd even settle for warming up the pitcher between innings.